Thank you, Father, that you have the ability to see us in a way that we could never see ourselves. And even though you tell us, many of us have a hard time believing it. So we thank you for your vision and your mind and your spirit. Because you brought us into your life. We didn't bring you into ours. You killed our life on that cross. And the only life that remains is yours. You brought us in. And you are faithful. And you are able to protect the very life you died to save. So we thank you for keeping us and walking with us and the patience you've extended toward us. And we acknowledge you and we lift you eyes, the only true God. Jesus is king in our house. He's king in our life. He's king in our families. And we declare he's king over the world and the nations. You are king. So inhabit your house. Don't just visit. Inhabit these people. Don't just visit. Take up your abode in them. Far deeper than just salvific reality. Take up your abode in them. Past their theological understanding, which is so incredibly weak. You are far greater than any study we could ever do. We love you. We thank you, Father, this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the season that we're in of Thanksgiving. To be grateful for everything you've done and accomplished in our lives. For everything we have. Forgive us for being influenced by the enemy to only focus on what we don't. We, we bless you, Father, and we thank you. And it's your name we pray and ask these things, believing Open our ears, open our eyes. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate y'all. Thank you, Isaiah, for helping out. You did a great job, bro. We have a lot of people sick. Yeah, go ahead and give him a hand. Yeah, he's, he's, he did a good job. We got a lot of people out sick, so um, we miss them. We pray for them. So Isaiah was helping us uh, plug one of our holes, our, our big holes. Rebecca's not feeling well today, so y'all be lifting her up. And Rebecca and Tyler, super special people. Uh, she's usually up here on the piano, and Tyler's working his rear end off back on the camera, which Eric's doing today. So he's working hard with a baby on his shoulder. Um, it's a talented guy right there. <laughs> Amen. How's everybody doing? So since you guys took so much time, I'm going to just continue to take mine, right? <laughs> you thought I was going to say we're going to get you out early. That's not going to happen. came to the wrong church for that. Now, I will try to be uh, brief, uh, but that's, that's stating that maybe next week we'd have to go part three, right? Um, so I want you to turn to uh, Isaiah 11. We are going to stay there just for a minute, but we're going to bounce around a couple of the pl other places uh, we've been in Ephesians 4, for those of you who don't know and you're coming in midstream with us, uh, thank you for being here. We, uh, we welcome you if you're a guest. Uh, we're glad you're here and, um, you know, if, if, if we're a fit for you, great. If, if we're not, that's fine too. I pray God, you know, places you where you need to be. Amen. Um, the church is bigger than just one building and one body. Um, so we're okay with that. We want you to be where God wants you to be, period, right? That's part of following the Spirit. Uh, and that's what we're on right now. So we were in Ephesians 4. What was it? Somewhere around verse 30. Is that somewhere right close in there? Uh, don't grieve the Spirit. Paul's specifically talking to the Ephesian church about 
harboring and, and, and holding a, a, a manifest relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this gets kind of interesting because many of us don't understand that there's a difference between the Spirit being in us and the Spirit being upon us. Many, many people disregard these verses as a specific reality over their life because of the salvific nature they've experienced. In other words, they've been saved, therefore they feel like they have the Spirit. And that is true. But there's a difference between the Spirit residing in you to a salvation-based reality of a new DNA, a new bloodline, a new Father who's given you power and anointing to be a son versus that same Spirit resting on you in a manifest reality for someone else. The Spirit in you is for you. The Spirit on you is for someone else. Okay, we can go home. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are missing. Yeah. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? So, much of American Christianity has really circumferenced itself around us. I watch people all the time chasing a version of themselves that they want to be while missing the Jesus that it takes to get them there. They want to feel a certain way in their Christian life. And if they don't get to that place, whatever that is, then the devil uses condemnation, fear, guilt, shame, bondage, and all kinds of garbage to keep them focused on themselves so that way they can fix themselves to be what God wants them to be. And that is not a work of the Spirit. That is a work of the flesh. It's very deceiving. It's very conniving. It's very intelligent because the, the, the devil doesn't have a lot of things to pull from from his playbook. He just has new generations to try old things on. And so... I've said this before, that the love of God that you have, the love that you have for God is the most manipulable thing the devil can touch in your life. We feel like, you know, because I love God, everything's going to be okay. That's true, and I'm not saying that's not true. What I'm saying is, is that your love is the most manipulable thing that he can touch. Here's, here's why. When he knows that you love him more than, love God more than anything else, he will use that love to try to get you to perform for that love, thereby disconnecting you from that love. Not, not in the sense of God disconnects love from us, but our disconnect from his love that is there. Does that make sense to you? Because nothing can separate us from his love except, you know, us not believing it. <laughs> okay? So what I mean by that is that when the devil sees how much you, you care about Jesus, that's the center point of attack that he's going to go on, which is why the spirit of religion has such a stronghold on the church, because he gets people to work for the thing they already possess. Which is being accepted by God. That happens because of the work of the spirit, what? In us. Yes? So you can't become any more righteous than, than Jesus. And his righteousness was imputed to us by and faith. So what does that say to the person who loves God with all their heart but just found themselves in a besetting sin? Are they unrighteous because of their sin or are they righteous because of the imputed uh, reality of Christ into their life? It's, it's whichever one they believe. Well, you're excusing sin. No, I'm not excusing sin. The fact that they're convicted by it proves that they're born of the Spirit. Because <laughs> the heathen doesn't get convicted by the things they do wrong. They justify it. People who hate their sin don't justify their sin, and that's why the devil uses sin and the love of God to manipulate people into a works-based reality, even though they're saved by faith in their theology. They'll teach on that, yet they live in such a way as if they're under bondage trying to get God's attention by living a holy life. Holiness is a byproduct of a spirit-filled journey. If you have to preach on holiness, the people don't have it. Holiness without the Spirit of God is just religion, period. It's a bunch of rules and regulations designed to keep you performing at a certain level where one man can control you in a church because then you're dependent upon his word every week. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be dependent upon each other, but we have the understanding we have the Spirit, right? Now, I want to address that. But So we're, 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 we've been in Ephesians 4. We're going verse by verse through Ephesians. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We've made it to 4, somewhere around verse 30, and we got hung there. So we're going to stay there for a minute 
and uh, unpack this, Paul's address to the Ephesian church in that the culmination of the book of Ephesians is specifically targeted towards warring in the spirit. Okay, Getting to that point, though, is, is the journey Paul takes us through. So when we're walking through the book of Ephesians, we have to understand, and this is for all you new people who've, who've come in kind of midstream. I, I don't want to leave you too far behind in where we're at, at least for our, our train of thought. In order to get to a chapter 6, you have to do 1 through 5. And, and so when you look at 1 through 5 and how Paul addresses the Ephesian church, especially relationally, I mean, a, a huge part of epistle content in the New Testament is how we treat one another. Have you ever noticed that? That when you look and read the epistles, there's so much content in there about how we treat one another. Why? Because how we treat one another is how we treat God. So you can tell me all you want. You can have all your verses and frame theology already. You can pack it. You can have a doctorate degree in theology and treat people like garbage, and I, and I, won't, I don't want to listen to anything you have to say. Because how you treat people is greater than your theology. And if your theology hasn't had that big of an impact on you to change how you treat people, then you've never, you've never studied theology. Because the study of God is the immersion of, into his love. That's, what, that's, that's who he is. He is love. It's, he, love is not a, an adjective in his life. It's not a verb. It's a noun. It's a person. It's not something he does. It's something he is. He can't cease to be anything other than that. This is why John says, that if you say you love God yet hate your brother, you abide in darkness. Why? Because so much of Christianity, especially with spiritual warfare, depends upon how we treat each other. In fact, treating each other wrongly takes us to a point where spiritual warfare is now personal and we become the agent of the devil for their destruction when we were supposed to be given as an agent of righteousness and building up. But we justify it because we've got good theology. If that doesn't transform into good character, then it means absolutely nothing. Give me somebody who has good character who can't even talk at all, and I'll take them over someone who can speak well but treats people poorly. See, people don't care what you have to say. They care by which spirit you speak from. And they know whether it's spirit of life or spirit of condemnation. Truth is, is, if that is void of the spirit is not truth. It's just correct, accurate statements. See, because Jesus specifically talks about the Holy Spirit, he calls her the, the spirit of truth. In other words, truth is a person. It's not a thought or an idea. Does this make sense? You can say something that's true to somebody and it be not by the spirit and actually kill them. Let's say somebody always is making messes in your house and they're selfish and they're not yet completely mature. And then you have a break in your heart one day and you're just like, you're just a slob. Is that true? Probably. That's truth. But you just murdered that person with your truth. Well, it's true. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, you're a hypocrite too. That's true. Anybody not a hypocrite in here? There's only one. His name is Jesus. <laughs> the rest of us suffer from hypocrisy. We just are blind to it. Okay? I'm glad nobody raised their hand. That would have been awkward. <laughs> We'd have to have another altar call, another worship service just for you. See, so the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the ascended life. Religion does not. Theology cannot make you into what God birthed you to be. If we grieve the Holy Spirit, we lose access to what God gave us access to, okay? When we're trying to speak for other people and help other people, we need the Spirit. They don't need our good ideas. People need you to hear the Lord. Something from the Spirit comes on you and you begin to see something on somebody's life and you begin to say something into them and they're like, how did you know that? And you didn't. It's the Spirit. And it, and it wrecks them. But at the same time, have you ever saw something in somebody's life just 
by witnessing their lifestyle, and you think, well, I need to tell them that because they're wrong, and you go and tell them, and it doesn't wreck their life, and they don't change? It's because it wasn't by the Spirit. Name one time in your life where the Holy Spirit has moved on you where he didn't move you to change. See, truth is a spirit. This is why mercy and truth met together in kiss. In Jesus Christ, the truth and the spirit became one. Does this make sense to you? So our truth also has to be married to the same spirit. Your theology, your doctrine has got to be by the Holy Ghost. Do you know how many gifts and callings people utilize in their flesh and God lets it work just because he wants the people that people are ministering to, not because they're actually operating by the Spirit? Do you know that you can use your gift without God? And he'll let you, and you'll be somewhat mildly successful. Not because of your gift, but because he wants the people you're ministering to. I, see, I want to be used because of me, not in spite of me. See, if, if I stand up here and just hold a microphone, if God wants you and I'm wrong, he's going to use me in, in spite of me. And that's deceptive on my end because I can think it's because of me. It's dangerous. Oof, so dangerous. That's where deception gets in. Be careful how much success you actually want. Okay, you with me? Okay. So uh, we need the Spirit, but we also need each other because the Holy Spirit moves through people. Doesn't he? You know, I, I, I occasionally, I'm just going to rabbit trail just for a second if you'll let me. Okay. Not that you have a choice. But anyway, so... Uh, John, 1 John, there's a scripture in 1 John that people use out of context all the time. First of all, John's talking to, contextually, the believers that he's writing to in relation to a false antichrist spirit trying to keep, uh, creep into the church. Okay? And so he even states that right after that. I say all these things because of these people who are trying to deceive you. Right? But this, the verse is this, is that you don't need any man to teach you because you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who leads you in all, tr in all truth, right? The, the anointing will lead you and guide you in all truth. And people are like, oh, I don't need a, I don't need a, te a teacher. I don't need people because the Spirit will lead me. That's not what the verse is saying. Contextually, he's saying, look, whenever you come across falsity in trying to creep itself into the church, you should have the Spirit to be able to, to discern that. Okay? Right? But it's interesting to me because I've done this a long time, not as long as some, but longer than most and the people that usually say that to me, like, oh, I don't need, I just, I have this, I hear the Spirit, brother. I don't need anybody to teach me. It's so ironic that those are the same people that are trying to teach other people. Literally. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't, need, I don't need a man to teach me. I have the Spirit. Well, then why are you still talking? Why are any of us doing anything? Why are, we, why are we even having church? Why, do we need, why, why, why are there pastors? Why are there evangelists then? Why, 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 don't we, why don't we all just shut up and let the Spirit do what he wants and nobody speak if, ever, if we're all just going to hear the Spirit? Because it's funny because they don't want to be taught, but they want to be the one teaching. Right. Yeah. Now, prophets that say, you know, I don't, need, I don't need to listen to a body because I have the Spirit. Well, then why are you out prophesying? I mean, if you actually believed your own theology, you'd close your mouth and let the Spirit work. But do you understand that they take that one verse and then ignore the 99 other verses that indicate and are contextual and really even blatant about God moving through people and using, and we need teachers and preachers and evangelists and prophets. We just talked about that in Ephesians 3. The gifts so that we can all become like Christ. So we need the Spirit, but we don't need chaotic, rebellious people in the Spirit. Because I've lived long enough to see, like I said a couple weeks ago, I've, I've even seen pastors who've said, I've, the Holy Spirit told me to divorce my wife. And so then where becomes the differentiating factor of hearing the Spirit? It's the body. The body is the differentiating the factor of what, of what you're hearing. Because we're all one body, one member. 
If you're midstream with us, you're going to not see that. But if you go through the book of Ephesians and other books in the Bible, you're going to see the importance that Paul puts on the community. Even so much so that the community is supposed to judge the prophecies. The things that come forth that are prophetic, the body's supposed to go, hmm, not sure we're all agreeing with that one. That's why it takes humility for us to be able to say, well, maybe I did miss that one. Okay? I don't want to go too crazy political, but we had a lot of things spoken a couple years ago that did not come to pass. Somebody should have stood up and said, that's not accurate. There is no gift that's above being wrong, especially the prophetic. We need it more than ever. I'm not saying it's bad. We need prophets. Right now, we need them more than ever, but we need prophets that are going to prophesy by the Spirit. Not something they hear in their head. And when the Spirit speaks, He speaks expressly to the churches, to the people, to the community. That's why relationships are so powerful. If you don't come to church and develop relationships, then when it comes time for you to stand up and go, hey, I'm not sure I agree with that, nobody's going to value your opinion. It's true. Have you ever tried to rebuke somebody that doesn't know you? It doesn't work. You have to have a relationship before you can have rebuke. No relationship, the rebuke will go nowhere. You know, I've made a pattern in my life that I will not listen to the rebuke of someone who doesn't know me. If somebody comes in off the street and says, brother, you're full of pride and this and that. Thank you very kindly. I appreciate your time. You just wasted your entire five minutes talking to me. Have a nice day. I won't listen to them because they've not walked with me at all. They don't know my life. In fact, many times that has happened. And people around me, I ask them, I'm like, hey, I just heard this from some dude that doesn't even know me. What do you think? And they're like, oh, my God, that's stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because I'm going to go to the people that are closest to me, that know me, that have walked a little while with me and say, hey, do you see this in my life? And if they say no, then I know that those people are false prophets. Does this make sense? That's why it's important to get people around you that aren't yes men. People that will tell you the truth. I have a few of those in my life. It's not always fun. Look, nobody's right all the time, unless you're standing on scriptural principles by the Spirit. And then if they don't like that, they'll just call you arrogant to get rid of the conviction you're placing on them anyway. There's always a loophole for anybody who wants out. You know that? I preached a message a long time ago called, Please Excuse the Doubters, and I proved in Scripture where God gives everybody a way out of his truth. He gives everybody a way out if they don't want to be there. That's why God doesn't send anybody to hell. They, they send themselves there. He just honors their choice. He separates based upon the identity they've created. You ever wonder? Sheep, goats? It's like he didn't make them that. <laughs> you chose to be that. This is where you go. You with me? All right. Every operation of the spirit also has a counterfeit. You know that? Because the devil wants to be like God. Let me ask you this. Where's Jesus? He's in heaven. Where's the Father? He's in heaven. Where's the Holy Spirit? He's on earth. He's in earth. He's in us. What does the devil want to be like? God. So he will emulate Christ and the false spirit as much as he possibly can. You know that compassion and sympathy look the same on the outside, but one has power. The other one just has human energy. See, compassion changes the moment. Sympathy can only offer more emotional constructs of a drug, if you will, that doesn't last. Compassion has the power to change things. Compassion's moved by a need, but also brings the solution. It doesn't just wrap its arm around somebody and say, it's going to be okay, shed a few tears, and then prop up their self-pity for a while, and then basically leave them where they're at. 
And passion is a move of the Spirit. Does this make sense? All right. So Isaiah 11, did you make it there? Verse, we're going to start in verse 2. Um, before I get there, I need you to understand that in Revelation, and I'm not going to turn there now. If we make it there, fine. If not, maybe next week. But in Revelation, John sees the seven spirits of God before the throne of God. How many of you guys know that? You know what the seven spirits of God are? The, it's the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is, is segmented into seven parts. We are segmented into three. Body, soul, and spirit. The Holy Spirit has seven different parts to her that make up her unity of who she is. I, I say she because that's how the Hebrews view her, is the feminine part of God. If you have a problem with that, just replace it with he and leave me alone. All right. <clears throat> Isaiah 11, it says, in the spirit of the Lord, this is, okay, this is the, this is the spirit that's going to rest on Christ. It's a prophecy of what kind of anointing that was going to rest on the Messiah when he came. We know that was fulfilled in Jesus. This prophecy says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Okay? If it stopped there, then everything I'm about to teach you would be wrong. But there's a reason why it goes into segmented parts or differentiated parts of the spirit. So when Paul's saying in Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Spirit, he is talking about the wholeness of who God's Spirit is, but he's also talking about the individual parts. Did you know that you can grieve the Spirit of wisdom? Did you know that you can grieve the Spirit of counsel and might and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord? Have you read Proverbs when it talks about the Spirit of wisdom personified as a woman? And what she says, and how she's almost in some, some ways, if you can look at it, she's almost grieved at the people not listening to her. So we think the Holy Spirit is just simply nothing more than a presence we feel on Sunday morning. It's so wrong. I call the Holy Spirit here. Well, because you feel a presence? See, when the spirit of wisdom is coming out of a man's mouth, that's the Holy Spirit. And you may not feel the presence because wisdom will call you out of where you are so you can be where he's designed you to be. And that kind of feeling doesn't happen as the same way as you feel the Holy Spirit in church. It's the same person. When you reject the spirit of counsel in your life, you're rejecting the Holy Spirit. You just don't think it's that because you don't get those goosebumps because the worship's not playing when the spirit of counsel comes. You ask anybody that's done this more than 20 years, and they'll tell you that the spirit of counsel and wisdom are often rejected by young's vigorous, full of zeal Christians. <laughs> because they only see what they see. And then somebody comes in and is like, bro, <sighs> you got to listen to me. I just don't see it that way. Well, I know you don't see it that way. I didn't either when I was your age, and I was dumb. I thought I wasn't until <laughs> I grew up in the spirit a little bit more and I realized how stupid I was and I wrecked everything. Because if you don't have wisdom with zeal, you'll destroy the house of God. Hmm? The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of, of wisdom. So you got the spirit of the Lord as a whole. You got the spirit of wisdom. You got the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of the knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Seven spirits that are personified here in this text that John sees before the throne of God. And this is the same spirit that Paul says, do not grieve him. Because if you do, none of this is going to rest on your life. Why should it rest on our life? Because the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, Christ and what is the standard for Christ is the standard for his people. This same spirit that rested on Jesus not only resides in us, but it should reside upon us. See, if you, that's why if you treat somebody horribly, you don't lose your salvation, but you lose your authority for the moment to speak life.
because the Spirit's not resting on you. There's no impact. You may know the right answer, but he's not going to back it up in your life. You know the difference between when God backs up your words versus when you're speaking by yourself? If you haven't seen the difference, you should try it sometime. It's vast. And this is why there's so many pastors and preachers that have no anointing behind their words. It's truth. What they're saying is right, but there's nothing that moves the heart of the person. There's no anointing. Why? Because somewhere they've justified their lifestyle, whatever that may be, with having the Spirit in them, but not actually cultivating a Spirit on them. See, Jesus lived a specific way, one, because we need to be taught how to live, but two, so that he wouldn't grieve the Spirit of God in his life. Does this make sense to you? You guys remember the Noahic Covenant, right, in the Old Testament? After the Lord flooded the earth, Noah sent a raven out, which in the, in the, in the biblical text represents the flesh. It's a bird of prey. It's, a bird, it's, a, it's, a, it's an omnivore. It, it, it's, it's carnal. He sent that bird out and it never came back. Why? Because that bird representing the flesh is okay to land on floating, dead, rotting carcasses and be just fine. Had no reason to return to the safety of the ark where the cleanliness and the community and where God was residing. So he sends out a dove and it returns. Why? Because a dove will not rest on rotting flesh. Did you catch the parallel? Okay. Who's the dove? What's the rotting flesh? Not you, the Adamic nature. You got to differentiate the two. You are not the Adamic nature, but you can choose to live in it. And the Holy Spirit will not participate in that. It doesn't mean that the inside part of you doesn't retain his spirit, but the outside part of you that's choosing to live in the Adamic nature has no ability for the spirit to rest upon that. And so when that, he sent that dove out the second time and it brought back the olive branch, what it was is that he found a place of rest because the olive branch represents peace. He found a place of peace to rest in his life. This is why Jesus even says that you need sons of peace in your midst. Find them. Why? Because it's the place where the Spirit resides. What does Jesus also say? He says, we're two or more gathered together. What? There I am. It's not just him in heaven. It's his Spirit. What does it say in Psalms? Oh, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that runs down his beard. It's the Spirit that comes into the unity of the bonds of peace that Paul even said earlier in Ephesians. Endeavor strongly to keep this unity. Why? Because this is how we get the presence on us. And when we live selfish American lifestyles, we are justified only by the fact that he's in us, but we've excused our reality for need of him being upon us. And then we wonder why we don't have influence out there because we're speaking the truth. How come they're not listening? Because people who are lost cannot hear your voice. They can only hear the voice of God when he speaks. There's only one voice that can raise the dead. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's the spirit of life. Period. And when we develop our worship and our preaching and our ministry around theological accuracy, we are void of the spirit of truth resting on us. You need the spirit resting on your marriage. It's not good enough for you and I to sit back and go, hey, I'm born again, therefore, because I'm saved, you need to submit to me. <laughs> All the women are chuckling. Here's, here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. Because the Spirit is personified as a woman. Women aren't attracted to truth. They're attracted to life. So when you want a woman to submit to you, it's not about telling her what she should do. It's about creating a persona around you that brings life. And it will cause people to come underneath that shelter. Now, when the life is presented and a woman becomes nitpicky, is only focusing on every little microcosm that you do wrong, that's demonic. Now, 
Not so many laughs and amens on that one. <laughs> I love how a lot of ladies come up with lots of excuses of why they don't have to submit. Yet whenever they actually have a godly man who's trying, they don't. Because of some discrepancy that they see is wrong. And when you see it from a pastoral perspective and you have one woman who comes in to the counseling session and she's begging God for a godly man in her life. <laughs> and then you help her and then she leaves. And the next one comes in and all she's doing is complaining about the godly man she has. Changes the perspective a little bit. <laughs> and I look at him and go, you know, I know a lot of people that cut off their right arm to be exactly where you're at. I know a lot of ladies that trade places with you in a heartbeat because you're married to a man who is at least trying. He's at least trying to love God. So you decide what you want your house to be built of. The spirit or nitpicking human discrepancies until that man flawlessly performs for you, which he never can. All right, so let's look at it. The Spirit of the Lord, which is the Spirit of the breath of God. Amen? That's what the Spirit of the Lord is. The word, the Spirit there is the pneuma or breath. It's the breath of God residing upon Jesus Christ. It's the breath of God that should be residing upon us. We see, I'm going to try to go through this quickly, okay? All right. In Genesis, we see the chaos was covering the earth before God created. And what happened is, is God spoke the Spirit began to hover over the water, and it brought order, chaos, to order to chaos and peace. So the breath of God brings peace into your life, and it brings peace to chaos, does it not? This is why we need the Spirit resting on us, because it's an act of creation every time the Spirit is resting upon a Son of God. Did you hear what I just said? It's an act of creation every time the Spirit's resting upon a Son of God. You say, well, how can you say that? Because in Romans 8, it says that all creation is longing and groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. Why are they longing and groaning for that? Because we operate in the Spirit of peace. The Bible says that they that are of the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Jesus says the sons of God would be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. In other words, it's an act of creation to bring peace into chaos. We have that same power in us. The spirit of the world is chaotic. It's without form. It's, it's, it's void. And they're groaning, not for our theology, but they're groaning for the spirit of life to actually move through someone who's made in the image of God. It's not enough for you and I to justify our lives as Americans and go, well, you know, I can do these small sins and do all this type of stuff because I'm a Christian and God will forgive me. That's fine, but you're so selfish in that moment because you're only focused on the spirit inside of you and you're not focused on the spirit that's on you for someone else. Jesus said, I, for their sake, I sanctify myself. Has that verse ever blown your mind? Like, he's perfect. He's already set aside for God's use, he's without sin. Why does he need to be set aside for us? Because that's what the Spirit of God on us does. When the Spirit of God's in you, you're already made righteous by the blood of Jesus. But when the Spirit of God's on you, that's when you sanctify yourself for someone else. See, most of Christianity is trying to sanctify themselves for themselves so they can feel comfortable in their own spiritual skin. So we get to a point where you can actually look in the mirror and not have to look away. See, that's, that's our goal. It shouldn't be. <laughs> the goal is the glory of God. The goal is not you being comfortable with your own form of morality and then judging your weak based upon whether you succeeded or failed on those principles. Walking into church with your head down because you fell into sin that week. You're only focused on the life inside of you, which do you need to repent? Yes, but the Bible's very clear. Repent, get up, move on. But I don't feel forgiven. That's because you think Holy Spirit is a feeling. There's times where my wife touches me or massages my shoulders and I feel something and it's like, this is awesome. But there's other times where we don't have any contact 
I don't feel her at all. But she's still my wife. And there's times where she says stuff to me that really irritates me. Not because she's wrong, but because I've still got stuff to work on. Is that, is she still my wife? The Spirit of the Lord moves into chaotic situations. In Isaiah 61, Jesus quotes this verse before he starts his ministry. Verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The breath of God, is, a Father, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those that are bound. These are all works of the Spirit on somebody, not in. Do you get the difference? Just because you're born again doesn't mean you have the authority to go out and do these things. You are supposed to go out and do them with them on you. Do you know that even Jesus told his disciples who had healed the sick and who had raised the dead and had done all these things, he said, don't go any farther until you get the Spirit on you. Didn't he say that? See, the work is not more important than the one who's supposed to work it. We have to cultivate a lifestyle of keeping spirit on us, which he says, don't grieve the spirit. How do you do that? Many different ways. The Bible says, we talked about it last week, that if you live in the flesh, right, you're opposed to God. To live in the flesh is death. To have a mindset of spirit is life. The flesh is opposite to spirit. When we're living in the Adamic nature on the exterior, you'll always know. Because you won't change anybody around you. You will only hurt them. I don't push this on people and everything else, but I, I always caution people. Be careful. Be careful what you get into. There's so much in our American culture today that is designed to deceive you. Yet we have just adopted it as just normal, everyday operation. It's not, a, it's not a legalism thing for me, but I don't listen to secular music because I don't want my spirit being ministered to by the devil. It's amazing how many Christians know that the demon was in charge of music in heaven, and yet they still listen to his stuff, and then they wonder why stuff's got going right in their life, you know. You're just being legalistic. You can believe whatever you want. I've decided my path. It takes the Spirit to preach the gospel, not truth. Paul says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, there's a distinction. Did you know that, 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 I said this, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, but you know that, did you know that when the devil was speaking Scripture, what he was saying was true? To Jesus in Matthew, uh, was it three or four? Three? Four? He was speaking truth. But it wasn't by the Spirit. That tells you right there that the main tool of the enemy is the Word of God without the Spirit. Oh, no, it's the pornography and the drugs. No, that, that's, that's, those are the weak demons. Those are the ones that are not very strong at all. They prey upon the carnality of the Adamic nature. But when, when the devil decided to fight God himself, he came at God himself with God himself. The scripture. The word. The main tool of the enemy that Lucifer chose to use was the word of God without the spirit. And you know what the temptations were based upon? The provision of God without the spirit. Go read it. You turn these stones into bread. You move without the Holy Ghost in your life. You have the power to do it. You fix your circumstance without God. That could be as simple as you and I using a credit card when God doesn't want us to. I'm not saying to not do that. I'm just saying you got to hear the Spirit. Because there's a time when you might get into a situation or a predicament where 
you might be able to manipulate your way out of it, but maybe that's not the will of the Lord. You cast yourself down. In other words, you take, you prove to yourself that you're a believer by doing something that God has to move for you in your life. And then last, and I will give you all these people without the cross. I'll give you the whole plan of God in a package, neatly packaged. I'll give you all the nations, all the people. See them all, see their faces. I believe the devil showed Jesus your face in that moment. And for one minute, Jesus had to look at you and say no before he said yes. I want them, but not that way. I will not gain them without the Spirit. It was the Spirit that drove him to that wilderness. <laughs> Who likes the wilderness? The Holy Spirit does. We're always trying to get out of it. The Spirit leads people to it. Why? Because that's where you cut off demons' heads. The devil wasn't on the mountain with Elijah and Moses, was he? See, God, God wants you to walk in the Spirit, follow the Spirit, because where he takes you is where you're going to take out his enemies. So that's your job, to kill the enemies of God. Not to dance with them, cuddle up next to them and justify them. You ever, I don't know, been watching a movie and you didn't really know what was in it and all of a sudden something comes on and you're like, ooh, and inside your spirit it just turns away. And it's like, ooh, ooh. And that's the Holy Ghost going, I'm not watching this with you. That's how you grieve him. You also grieve him by speaking ill about one another. You know one thing that the Spirit uh, absolutely hates? Division. So much so that he speaks through Paul multiple times, and like I've said many, many times, mark those that cause division among you and get them out of the church. Paul, speaking by the Spirit, says get people who cause division out. Why? Because the Spirit hates division. Why? Because she is seven parts all in one, never divided. So, your spiritual warfare in Ephesians has more to do with your relationships with other people than it does with you shouting around your room with screaming at the devil. Like, I think many times he's laughing at people who do that because they treat people like garbage and then they're trying to take authority over the devil. And he's like, you have zero impact in my kingdom right now. And they make a mockery of us. Be careful speaking against authority. I don't care if they're right or wrong. See, that's how you prove your immaturity is if you're only focused on rights and wrongs. If you look at something that goes on in the church and you think that that's wrong and actually causes an angst in your heart, you are so immature. You're still eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, expecting it to bring forth life. And all it did is bring forth death, and that's all it will ever do. And if you keep eating from that tree, it's all going to kill everybody. All you're going to be do is walking around showing where everybody they're wrong, where they're wrong, where they're wrong. And eventually, you'll actually deceive yourself into calling yourself a prophet. I have some people like, well, brother, my gift's the spirit of discernment, and I can tell what's wrong in a church. But if you can't discern what's life in a church either, then you're still operating by the, same, the wrong power. Discernment works both ways. You should be able to discern what people should be and know how to get them there. And if you can't and you only show them where they're wrong, you are operating under the same power the devil does because he can absolutely see what's wrong in your life. Spiritual warfare is not what we think it is. If you actually preach on what it is, it won't sell as many books. The anointing breaks the bondage of sin, Isaiah 10, 27. Right? When Samson came down uh, in, in, in Judges 14, 5, Samson came down, his father and his mother, to Timnah, and he came to the vineyard of Timothy, and behold, a young lion roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he went and he rent, the, he ripped this lion as he would have ripped a, a, a baby goat in half, and he had nothing in his hand, but he didn't tell his father what he, or his mother what he did. See, 
When the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, it empowered him to do the impossible. You too. I love, the, I love how wrong we get it, you know. You ever been to Sunday school and you, Samson's always this muscle-bound dude, like just like, you're, you know, I, that's not how it was. It can't be. It's impossible for him to be that way. Because if you saw a guy like that, you wouldn't go, where do you get your strength? Because that's what happened in the Bible. They look, they're like, where, where, do you, where do you get? I believe he was skinnier than me. I mean, this guy probably like, what in the How is this happening? <laughs> this guy is a toothpick. It amazed people. Like, what in the world? How is this happening? This can only be a deity working with him. Because it's impossible. And that's what it's called to be a Christian. When people look at you and go, how in the world? You're a joke. Yeah, I know, but I'm his joke. And I'm awesome. See, wisdom knows how to agree with his adversary, but yeah, let that condemnation come into your spirit. See, wisdom doesn't get offended at truth. It speaks by the spirit in return. You're a dog. Yeah, I know Jesus, but I'm your dog. Heal my daughter, please. You own me. I pledge my allegiance to you. You call me whatever you want. I'm here for your glory. I don't think my life really changed. Till I really came to a place one day by the Spirit, broken, realizing that many, of, many, many aspects of my life I was serving God because I didn't want to be void of God himself. So it was still about me. And in honest reality, in my guts before God, I spilled everything out and I said, God, if you send me to hell at the end of it all, I will still serve you, I will still worship you, and I will still obey you because you're worthy. It has nothing to do with where I'm going, where I want to be. If it makes you happy to make me burn for forever, then do so. Because I wasn't trying to make deals with the Lord anymore. And something in my life changed. Something radically shifted. Because it didn't revolve around me being good anymore or right anymore. It had everything to do with his glory. And that's what the Spirit is concerned about, the glory of God. Does this make sense to you? In Ephesians 6, when Paul gets into this reality of the Spirit and warfare, he says, verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit. It's not the sword of your theology. See, your theology is trained, influenced by your experiences in your history. Your experiences in your history are mostly <laughs> impacted by sin. Take the sword of the Spirit. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? And it doesn't stop there. See, most, you see, people say, oh, we got to take, the, you know, when we get to this part, we quit. Take the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the helm of salvation and, the, and the, our, our, our loins girded about with truth and the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod with the gospel of peace. And brother, it's going to battle. No, 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 there's another part of the armor that everybody forgets. Nobody talks about it. You know why you don't talk about it? Because we somehow dumbed this down to a kid's version where you can just slap something on a felt board and cover up, you know, a piece of a man on a cloth. But you can't put the spirit of prayer on somebody on a felt board. Because <laughs> what's the spirit of prayer look like? I don't know how to draw that. He says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God. Does God ever speak without his spirit? You ever wonder why Jesus says every idle word will be judged? That doesn't mean just loose talk. That word means things that don't move anything. They, they, create, no, they create nothing. They, they, don't do, they don't change anything. They have no impact. Because Why does Jesus say that? Because he actually believes that when you speak, things should change. 
He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord, and then guess what? This last part of the armor that nobody talks about. Are we there? No, okay. Uh, praying always. I think Abe talked about that in the announcement. Praying always. With all prayer and supplication. What? In the Spirit. This is part of your armor. Praying by the Spirit. I, I don't, I, anymore, I don't, I mean, I, I know that what the Bible says about pouring out your heart to God and everything else, but the, sometimes my heart is so clouded up with so much garbage, I don't want to take the entirety of my moment with Jesus and make it about my sin. Because <laughs> if, it, you know, then I'm going to spend an hour trying to get right with him, and then, then my day's got to go on, and I'm finally right with him, but I never heard what he had to say. That would be like you having a relationship with me where it was only counsel constantly. You're constantly dumping your garbage on me, and I'm, I'm eating it in that sense of counsel and work through. But, but you never, we never have anything past that. Tell me how close our relationship actually is going to be. Not at all. So praying by the Spirit, I want to come into the presence of Jesus concerned about what he's concerned about. And I can prove to you that he's not as concerned about your sin as you are. He's more concerned about your unbelief. Because sin can be taken care of by the blood. It can be washed away. He believes he's bigger than your sin. But what can't be washed away is your unbelief. Now you can repent of that. But if you're operating unbelief, your will ties the hands of God from moving in your scenario. It's not that he can't, he won't. Unbelief, one of the biggest sins in the New Testament. And sadly, many, many, many people, if you ask them, do you believe God loves you, they'll shake their head yes. But so many people don't really believe that he loves them. Why? Because their relationship with God revolves around what they do wrong instead of what he did right. And they just can't believe that God would love them. Why? Because I'm such a sinner. Why can't you say because he's such a savior? And for those of you who are new here, we had a lot of prep before we got to this point. We went through, I don't know how many seasons of mind renewal, <laughs> teachings about how to renew your mind, because if you don't come to mind renewal, there's no way you're going to be able to properly war when the battle actually comes. There's no way. You'll quit. Do you realize perseverance is a work of the Spirit? So when Paul says, we're going to have to pick it up next week, but so when Paul says, don't grieve the Spirit, he's not just talking about quenching some sort of presence in the room, though that's applicable. But he's saying, listen, don't quench the Spirit of wisdom in your life if it comes through somebody that you don't like. Don't quench the spirit of understanding when it comes. I'll get to understanding. We're going to go through each one of these. I just briefly touched on the spirit of the Lord. The next one we're going to touch next week is the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding. When you get to the spirit of understanding, you can see certain verses in the Bible that, that God says, I will give you pastors after my heart that will teach you in knowledge and understanding. So in other words, in that moment, to deny what your pastor's saying, and I'm not saying this as a, as a corporate whole, but I'm just saying, according to Scripture, in certain elements of life, to deny what your pastor's saying is to quench the Spirit. You realize how hard it is for me to say that? Because I'm the pastor of this church. <laughs> It'd be much easier if there was a guest speaker teaching on this. Well, you're just telling everybody that you, you know, would do so you can control them. I mean, if you... If you think that about me I'm not saying you do but I'm just if you do you, you don't know me at all like you can talk to anybody who's been here longer than three years and just personally ask them take their opinion not mine ask them how micromanaging I am I will teach you and I will guide you and I will help you but I'm not going to tell you what kind of toilet paper to buy I just, just I don't care what you do you I'll even show you the right way through it and I've sat in that office and counseled so many people and said, you, listen, this is the way you got to go. And they walk out, and they don't do a darn thing I asked them to do. They don't. They keep doing the same stuff. 
And I don't, I don't harp on them. It's your life. You do whatever you want. I told you what the word said. I told you what I felt like the spirit was saying. You have the right to disobey that. I do not have the right to make you obey. I'm not going there with you, though. There's degrees of growth, and the only way you're going to grow sometimes is to listen to the Spirit, which nine times out of ten comes through the mouth of somebody else. And if you don't believe that, then you need to stop teaching and preaching and telling people about Jesus because the Spirit's using you to do that. And if you don't believe that nine times out of ten he's going to use a human, then you need to keep your mouth shut. Follow me? Okay. The Lord uses us to bring forth his glory. But the character that sustains the spirit is the life of Christ that we have to cultivate. And when God brings something up in our life, we need to deal with it. We need to focus on it. We need to look at it and say, well, no, you know, that's some, that could be something from the Lord. Instead of easily discarding it as like, oh, that's just Chad on one of his rants again. Anytime it gets down to a discrepancy in my life, I look at Scripture and I go, which one would serve me better on the day of judgment, justifying this or obeying it? And then I make my decision. I think that's part of wisdom. Acknowledging that you are an eternal being that will face God. You can go read the writings of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, and he talks about that. Everything down here is vanity. You need to remember that you're going to the grave. That's wisdom. The man who personified wisdom in the Bible, Solomon, he said, you're going, you're going to die. Nobody gets off the planet alive. Ten out of ten. That's one statistic you can't mess up. Live that way. Live in light. Of that, so when you're at when you're like, hey, is that is that just him, or is that would I rather have done this on my deathbed versus justify it? You with me? Like small things, even like I said, with just with the music or whatever. What ask yourself, like, is that legality? Is that legalism, or is like which would serve you better facing God? You decide. I'm not telling you which one. You decide which one would serve you better facing the Lord on the final day of judgment. I've decided. It's easy for me. I don't listen to the stuff I used to listen to. I've even stopped listening to some forms of Christian music because it's just so sin-focused. It's like, I don't want to put that in my spirit. This is garbage. I want to lift the name of the Lord. I want to magnify his name. I want to encourage myself in God. Amen? Amen? Let's follow the Spirit, because when the war comes, we're going to need to be able to be full of the Holy Ghost inside and out. Know that how you live your life behind closed doors determines the amount of the Spirit that rests upon you. That's not legalism. That's obedience to the Spirit of God. And that amount, amount will determine the amount of anointing you operate in out there. It will. It will. If you haven't figured it out yet that your truths aren't enough to convert people, then keep trying what you're doing until you figure out it's not going to work. And even if it does, many times it's just one or two. And then usually the reason that happens is because God really wants them. He just really does. We need to be impactful. Amen? You can stand. Don't quench the spirit. This is a, this is a mandate from Paul. Don't grieve him. So like we prayed last week, we, we prayed that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, would give us the grace to be able to know where we're doing that. And guys, let me tell you something. What quenches the Spirit for a new believer is going to be way different than what quenches the Spirit for an older believer. Okay? That there's going to be some discrepancies there. There's going to be things that the Lord convicts me of that a, a brand new believer is never going to hear. Never. But when the Holy Spirit starts moving in your life and says, hey, stop thinking those thoughts. The spirit of correction, the spirit of the fear of the Lord comes. Because you're going to face your father, who's not a toothless grandpa. 
I know everybody likes to think Abba, and he's, just, and he's a father, yes, but man, I'm telling you what, a good father will whip your rear end. I don't believe in gentle parenting. God's never been gentle with me when he's, he's tore me up. Not one time. He tells me the truth. He tells me by the Spirit. It breaks my heart. I want to repent. He says, but you know what? When I correct you, it's because I love you. Father, we need you. And in this weird way, we also have you. But we need more. More of your spirit. More of your power. More of you. So Holy Ghost, I ask you to forgive me and anyone who agrees with me for grieving or offending you. Especially in regards to my, my brothers and sisters, my family, my wife, my kids, my brothers in the faith. May I treat them the way you treat them. May I see them the way you see them. May the words that come out of my mouth be spirit and truth. And give me grace to repent when I fall short so I can get back up and be, be perfected. Help these that agree in this time rest on their lives, on their mouths, on their words. The tongues of fire would rest upon them the way it did in Acts 2, so much so that they didn't even go out looking for those people. They came looking for them. That wherever they might be, there will be a spirit upon them, Father, that attracts people around to come and to hear and to listen. Help us in these things, Father, for no one's sufficient but you. Holy Spirit, thank you for being the helper, for being the paraclete, for being the one who is with us, the part of Emmanuel, that you are with us. For your purposes and your work and your establishment and your kingdom, not ours. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. We were created for your pleasure. For your glory we were made, according to Revelation 4.11. Bring us back to that, Father. We're not Americans. We're sons of God who live in America. We're, we're sons and daughters of the kingdom. Help us. Manifest your reality through us. So that we're not just so concerned about our own salvific reality, but we're concerned about the reality of others around us, which you say in the word of God is the mind of Christ. So it's an act of the Spirit, it's an act of love to our brother to, to host the presence upon us in our lives for their sake. We love you, we honor you, we thank you, we need help in these things, and you will grow us and you will mature us. We were, you, were, you were faithful to complete that which you've started in us. In your name we ask these things, believing, trusting, and by grace, obeying. Amen.